and welcome to Say Hi to the Future, a podcast aimed at highlighting the human side of ingenuity, clever, inventive, and original thinking. My name is Ken Tenser, CEO of SpiderWorks, a leading business consultancy for mid-market organizations and entrepreneurs globally. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. With me today is Samira Chukwapali Holmes, founder of NeedLab, a design research organization aimed at solving sustainability issues for communities using human-centered design strategies. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. Samira, welcome to Say Hi to the Future. Hi. Samira, I I think a lot of your world focuses around human-centered design strategies. So what is a human-centered design strategy and how can it help us or what can it help us to do better? Yeah, there might be a lot of theoretical definitions out there, but um, I came across working um, using the strategy without even knowing what it was. Mm -hmm. So I learned it by doing it and then realizing, wait a minute, this is what that means. That mm-hmm. A lot of theory and design thinking strategies and all of that is put around. Um, I do have to add that um, our work has gone beyond human-centered and also considering environment and human-centered, uh, putting the focus on both. In a way, uh, humans have been consuming um, resources and in, in, uh, being in the center of um for everything to be designed for them for a very long time. I think uh, now more than ever, we have to think about a balance between human and nature and environment that's around us. So uh, you're doing both of that. We basically have a participatory discussion with the community we are working with and the problem at hand and try to understand what's the root cause of that problem. Why is this happening? So we don't address some of the symptoms, but we get to the bottom of it and try to understand, okay, these are the root causes. What can we attend to first? What is our capacity? And then how can we support them with our skills that we have? And then um, having those open conversations with the directly impacted helps us to understand from their perspective, instead of us from a very far away distance, like having an opinion about it. Um, And then we have discussion amongst our team with the skills that we have. How can we use um, our knowledge into supporting, um, you know, solving some of those issues? That's something that we do. Okay. So those issues, though, are are, must be pretty vast. I mean, one of the things that fascinates me that I'd love to hear about is your, your work with the Obama Foundation. And I believe, are you the Obama leader for Europe, is it? Or Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, those those are pretty significant issues, human issues, life and planet issues, balance issues. So please, yeah, let, let me know a little bit about that, because I, I was just fascinated reading it. Yeah. So uh, President Obama is an incredible leader, um, and um, I followed his work throughout, before and after. And um and as a person of color, to see him um, be a face of a campaign and um, and that thinking was really impactful, I think, for me. And then when I speak um, of young leaders that are coming out today, uh, maybe for all of them. So I've been following um, their work for quite some time, even after he left office and um, the foundation's work. So I got involved with them last year. Um, So they select leaders from all around the world and work with them um, in supporting them with the skills that they need 
So that's something that I did first with them. Mm. Um, so we learned about leadership. How can we handle conflict better? How can we be better uh, leaders who are negotiating with both the sides of the conversation and not just being in silos of our own opinions? How do we break that bubble and try to understand the other side and mediate for that? So the communities and the problems that we are working on um, are solved in a more inclusive way. And uh, he's always championed that. And um, we do the same in various issues that a lot of leaders are working on. And um, in my work specifically for that um, is around um, migration. I'm, I'm a migrant and um, housing issues, public space issues, and how do we design to be more inclusive and to heal instead of hurt? Because design and architecture for a very long time has been used mm-hmm. to be exclusionary. And um, reversing that is quite hard because um, that has led to people believing they deserve less somehow. So um, that part of work is uh, very much connected to the foundation as well, with all the work that they're doing on the South Side in Chicago. And um, yeah, all the leaders also become very supportive um, with the kind of work, even though we don't have the same expertise as each uh, leader in the cohort, we have a lot of empathy because we face similar problems, mm-hmm. similar difficulties, and like the burden that we feel of, wow, this issue is so much bigger than me. I'm here alone chipping away a small part of it, but how could I even grasp the entirety of it? So those uh, those situations, the leaders and the community uh, within the Obama Foundation is very supportive. Um, and it brings hope in a way for us to keep going and keep um, working on it, which is very important. Yeah. And what are some of the differences? Because I imagine that the challenges in Chicago versus Europe versus many other countries around Asia, Australasia, et cetera, the, the challenges um, must be vastly different. Mm-hmm. They are, and we do learn about um, other leaders' work uh, in the community. So we do have something called this, uh, the Obama Leadership Network right now, and all the leaders, the scholars who are graduating from the programs, are it's a, it's a safe space to have those mm-hmm. conversations and learn and interact with each other um, there. And also, um, we forget that leadership is a skill. It's something you acquire. It's a tool that you keep in your toolbox. And how you deal with difficult situations and conflicts that arise is similar. I could learn from a leader in Asia to Africa to um, North America, but how they dealt with something similar, uh, even though it's not the exact issue or even though the community doesn't deal with the same problems. But I do learn a lot from the leaders there. And that's really supportive. And then taking references to that and foreseeing, hey, this was tried somewhere else and it didn't work out. So maybe we could learn from their experience in that and take it a step further or try it in a different way. Instead of reinventing the wheel in this space of ethical leadership, we try to learn from each other. That's something that's very, very rewarding and um, intellectually also very thought-provoking, those conversations, especially around democracy and how to be more inclusive and have a spectrum of opinions live um, in harmony with each other. Um, That's very important. And um, yeah, that that remains the same from my point of view. (laughs) How an individual leads, uh, yeah. That's common, I guess. How do we lead with ethics? And and I say that because historically, I don't think that ethics drove a lot of the decisions that we made. I wouldn't even say that today 
yeah. <laughs> ethics drive them. So, so how do you marry or, or manage ethics and leadership, and and how is it becoming you know more critical within organizations? It's not been shown in the past, but there has been um, recoveries. If we notice, there there is all. It's not always a straight line, and it's not always an um, recovering curve. There's always ups and downs. Historically, right. we do go forward, and maybe we take a step back. Maybe we take two more steps forward, and then a step back. So we do have to be conscious of not losing hope when that happens. Um, it happens in political spectrums. It happens in trends of leadership because it influences. Um, leadership patterns around the world for example if something's happening in india and that's gaining momentum maybe brazil picks up on that and leadership direction there changes um so we we feel we are very different but in a way the world is kind of small and we do get influenced and that has happened several times so from my point of view i think it's tapping into individual values and then being like, okay what do i individually believe in and can i tap to that and find commonality among other people. And then my first followers, second followers, all of those people who believe in the same ideals bring a momentum. And that could be the change that we want to see uh, in the the coming future. And I think now with the millennials and Gen Zs and all of this conversation of ethics is very, very important. I'm teaching a class on uh, ethical leadership and I see that. I see the 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 interest uh, that a technological innovation has to be ethical. Um, I had a group of students design an ethical AI for healthcare and um, and I'm mentoring them. I realized that maybe I didn't have these conversations as much uh, as Gen Z's are having that right now. Also with uh, climate change impacting them the most um, historically um, compared to other generations and, um, and, and for the future of them and their children to be the most impacted. I feel um, it's very much needed the conversation and um, an education I feel should uh, should include it in in at every level why not at high school right right yeah why don't we learn science from a perspective of uh, what are my values and ethics and I think um, that would change the way we build every um, every industry so as you say that and you talk I believe it's at NYU that you you teach now ethical leadership you talk about ethics, ethical leadership in AI. I, I think one of the hard things for me to, to think through is what we program in, are they our own ethics? How do we separate our own ethics from true ethics or truly yeah. beneficial? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that, that is a, boy, depending on the, the, the lens or perspective you're looking at, ethics, what is right and wrong, there's such a there's such a difference between what truly is good yeah. for humanity and what we believe. So, h- how do you balance that with AI? Um, well, I'm not an expert on it. I, I have to disclose that I, I'm, I'm I'm a faculty who's teaching ethical leadership and entrepreneurial systems. So I have mm-hmm. students, 28 students, coming up with different ideas. So there are 10 right. ideas. And this is one of the ideas that students are working on. The way I support them and lead them is uh, to have a, a critical mindset and to question um, what's happening and to learn uh, what are the different avenues they can tap into. Of course, the data sets influence it and the human biases that uh, we have do seep into that. And we have seen that in MIT's research, if, uh, people of color are negatively uh, 
impacted uh, through different AI sets, data sets. So there is definitely that. But we have to be democratic as well, right? Um, we have to be inclusive of uh, opinions as long as it is not intentionally intended to harm people or designed to harm people. Um, I think that's where my red line um, shows up. Mm -hmm. Are you intentionally doing this so you could exclude someone or, um, or has someone tried to flag something when they've noticed a pattern of behavior that is not for the best? Um, that's when I think uh, we as humans uh, should alter it. It's what, what AI and data sets are just, just information. And and we can choose what to do with that. We've always had right. we've always had uh, access to information. Um, what we do with a knife? Uh, do we cut an apple or do we harm someone? That's always mm -hmm. been there. And I think this um, AI and the innovations that are coming out of AI is again a tool set. You have another toolkit where you can use it just like Microsoft Excel or Word or any of those tools that we have. What can we do with that? And um, I think um, educating uh, our community on how do we use those tools and what are we doing with it is a better conversation to have than, um, than I think, going down the rabbit hole of what all bad things can this do. <laughs> I mean, we've always had that. Things grow yeah be used um, in many ways than it was designed for. Um, innovation always has those parallels. So that's, that's where my interest is. <laughs> no, you're right. And it is a very good positive place to put the interest. And I think that the notion of intent to harm is critical because, yes, there are always going to be good and bad in the world. And, and, and I'm never one to stop um, innovation, to stop the next step, to stop foresight and and integrating foresight into what we do. I'm, I, and I'm also, I'm Canadian. I believe in good. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying we're a perfect country. I'm just saying as a Canadian, I was taught to believe in good. So um, tell us a little bit about Need Lab. You founded, you founded Need Lab um, to solve problems related to habitat, urban resilience, and, and uh, both cities and rural communities. So I couldn't help it. <laughs> um, I did start when I was 23, 24, which was pretty young. Um, and little did I know about um, how to raise money or how does the industry work and what are the rules of the game that I was getting into. Uh, maybe that was one of the reasons I did it. <laughs> maybe if I if I had known, um, I probably wouldn't. I don't know. It's We could only speculate now. But I started when I was doing my master's program. Um, I was very hopeful and I wanted to solve housing crisis. And I was doing masters on how can we 3D print houses using clay. So mm -hmm. it's a sustainable material. It's uh, It can perform much faster than human beings. We could be resource efficient. Everything positive if you write down a list on a technical paper um, point. And I was like, wow, this is going to solve everything. And as I got through my thesis, I realized there's a lot of stuff that I didn't see. <laughs> and um, that's where I started to think this is not enough. I, could, I couldn't just stop here and, and give up on that knowledge that I acquired by going in that direction. And that's where I was like, okay, I need to do something. So it started off with projects and Need Lab was 
something that came into mind. This is something needed, and we're a laboratory that, in a way, it's mm-hmm. what's needed for communities because it's maybe not beneficial to manufacture those products or innovate for that at scale because the problem doesn't exist at scale. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of construction industry innovations happen at scale because financially that is beneficial and that is where um, it can be replicated uh, several times. So it's like, could we do something small scale that's shared with communities? And that's a knowledge that's passed on. And um, and it, even though it's not financially beneficial, can we still go ahead and, um, and research that? That's where the thought came in. Later, uh, realized something that is now our normal, let's say, toolkit. Uh, we have this five E's, environment, education, economics, emotion. Um, and it's it's how we tap into, into any project. Um, mm-hmm. So we see how can we influence what is available as a resource there. And can we support these five E's and what needs to take a lead in this specific project? For example, going back to the 3D printing of houses, yes, you can solve it um, very quickly. You're resource efficient. Uh, it's environmentally less damaging, but you remove a huge component of economics, which is benefiting a lot of communities through employment. Human beings involved in construction industry and trade skills is a massive economic uh, contribution to a community and how you consume local resources that are not just the primary one, but the secondary um, you know, diversified material resources is also important to maintain balance. These were the things that I realized at depth um, when I started going down that road, and um, that's uh, that's what we do now. What are some of the projects? Can you give us an example of something that you've done and scaled and how it related back to the 5Es? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so we started housing was one of the important issues that we wanted to address from the start. Um, so we are iterating on it and this housing was house for all uh, with the intention that can we design housing where there's flash flooding? Can we design housing that is modular in a sense that materials could be replaced with the ideology mm-hmm. that is shared? And uh, could we do something where skills are, uh, people are trained, um, so the knowledge that they acquire, they could start a company themselves, they could build and um, learn construction and um, work either in furniture design or um, building houses. And we also looked at can this houses, can these houses become independent in terms of energy? Could could these houses roofs uh, become an energy grid in itself that's contributing two way and um, redevelopment of low income housing doesn't be, isn't looked at as a resource consuming one and now it is a contributing one and then could we uh, build a house that could grow crops that are cash crops that uh, community members who don't have full-time employment could use the seasonal income uh, from that mm-hmm. so our one of the house projects includes all of this along with it's raised about the ground level which lets the water um, flash flooding um, happen seasonally and it doesn't relocate the community which is very important uh, relocation costs a lot even for local governments and also disturbs the life cycle of the community who lives there. So uh, how could we do that um, with, with least disturbance um, to someone's livelihood? And um, yeah, this is a house that we built in Nairobi, in Kenya, partnership with the UN Habitat. 
and um, local contractors. We also learned that local contractors are not often a beneficial because they cannot bid for tenders and compete with larger construction companies. So we, we worked with a very native, small construction company that is family owned and hired a lot of local Kenyan uh, migrants who come into um, Nairobi searching for work. And they live in um, one of the largest slums in the world. Um, and um, it's a Kibera slum probably mentioned several times. So some of the workers were living there. So we we're like, okay, could we train them? That could help them to um, either repair or upgrade their own housing that they were living in. Could we share these skills? How could that go uh, further into impacting um, their own housing? That was a direction mm -hmm. we looked into. The second one was um, when we were uh, presenting the house, we had again a panel discussion and um, a very, very um, inspiring man asked a question. Um, he was visually impaired and um, and he shared that um, for the community that he speaks for, um, have a spectrum. You know, it's 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 not just uh, the way architecture or um, housing is designed right now. So he's like, for our spectrum, what do you what do you propose? So we started working with that community, um, coming up with uh, the conversation. How can we share uh, and have even a dialogue? when a housing design process uh, is made. Uh, and then we realized, okay, we could send textures, we could send materials, we could have um, this. We started researching how to share design in terms of room circulation. Mm -hmm. And we did interviews with the Kenyan visually impaired community from the spectrum of someone who only cannot see partial vision, who had partial vision to someone who was completely blind from birth. Um, and we learned a lot. So now we are um, trading the version two, which is for uh, addressing visually impaired community as well. So that's something that's uh, upcoming and COVID happened <laughs> in between. Right. So um, being on ground and working with communities in um, rural areas was a, was a concern in terms of not bringing um, something there um, as, uh, as visitors. So, um, yeah, I will update you on that soon. <laughs> That sounds incredibly rewarding. Tell us a little bit about Nudge Global Impact Challenge. Uh, you said something about sparking curiosity and learning environments is the best thing you can do as a coach. <laughs> so how, how do you spark curiosity and, and, and how does that help with this impact challenge? Well, um, I was part of that a few years ago, and I do go back, like most of the communities that I'm involved in, I believe if I've benefited from it, I do have to give back. So Nudge mm -hmm. Community is one of those that I had um, joined very early in my career where I got trained in sustainability. So I do go back and teach um, and facilitate workshops there. Um, so curiosity is, is, is something that led me in the path that I have uh, taken. I'm, I'm an architect, but also I stumbled upon um, conversation of human center, environment center design when it was not being spoken about in my industry. It was all about architects, vision and design and not a conversation with what the community wants or people want. So then I was like, wait a minute, I'm curious about that. Let me go through that. And then I stumbled upon how to run um and uh, innovative initiative to benefit people. And then I got interested in social entrepreneurship. 
Um, so each step, uh, there was something that sparked my curiosity, and it was like, "What's that?" And and that that drew me to um, to who I am today. It kind of built me up step by step, and as I went through that, now. Um, like who would have known I would meet Obama, a, a girl from South of India, had nothing to do with any of leadership conversations or political um, spectrum that I'm part of right now. But I am here. I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, so I believe that um, education systems and learning environments should cater to that. If an individual shows curiosity towards something, they should be um, given access to that, and uh, that curiosity leads us to uh, make our world better and if everybody is being able to feel satisfied uh, with the direction that they're learning in I think we'll have better educational systems and I do believe very strongly that education is the way that um, community can be empowered Um, I've heard it over and over again with a lot of initiatives that say we empower people that somehow hits me in a weird way i'm like well no one needs to you know people have voices people have um and have a direction they want to take it's all about removing the hurdles that are in their way so if someone could remove the hurdles people can empower themselves yeah. uh, just just remove the part that makes it difficult for them to learn difficult for them to have those conversations or exposure so for me those hurdles were I couldn't get into some rooms. I couldn't get a chair somewhere. So even though I was curious, those doors wouldn't open for me. So um, being part of communities um, like Nudge Global Impact, Obama Foundation, um, these were the ones that opened those doors for me and removed those hurdles for me to get further where I wanted to go. So um, yeah, I wish for my classes to be those um, which navigate the community to mm-hmm. feel that they already have a voice and 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 they could learn skills how um, they could navigate that path and need lab to remove those hurdles. Well, Samira, thank you for being you. Thank you for your curiosity and you know, when, when we started Say Hi, and we've been very true to it, it's it's about finding people with stories like yours who've had, um, who've made such an incredible contribution and such an impact against all odds. Because I think that, you know, so many of us talk about, as you said, empowerment today or overcoming. And we really don't connect with those who have. And um, that's, that's been the passion behind what we are doing. Um, and, and, and helping people learn about ingenuity and maybe learn how to think um, like some of the people like yourselves do who found a way. So thank you again. That was my little soapbox <laughs> for what we do, but um, it's, it is why we're here. So thank you again for being part of it. Thank you very much. I, I recently had an incident with a student. Um, I, was, I was like, it's hard to comprehend the fact that students call me a professor today. <laughs> I'm 30 years old and, and <laughs> I, I walked into the class and um, the student looked a bit lost. I was like, hey, you can follow me and come. Um, okay, and then I opened the door and I was setting my computer up and then he goes, are you the instructor? Are you the professor? I'm sorry. And I'm like, yes, I am. And then he goes, oh, okay. And then... <laughs> puts his back down um, I think I wished um, for for me to have been exposed to that when I was growing up to see that that um, you know diverse um, community members being included in that 
So, yeah. <laughs> Even though it's hard, we have to do it. And thank you for starting uh, Say Hi to the Future. And um, thank you for Sonia to finding me and uh, for making this happen. If you enjoy this episode and you want to support our show, leave us a review and join our mailing list by visiting www.spider.works. That's S-P-Y-D-E-R dot works and subscribe to our channel. Leave us a comment with who we should interview next. Thank you for listening and see you all next Friday.